The rest of us, we're going to be continuing. Uh, we're doing a, a work through the book of Exodus. So this is this whole series, which we don't know exactly how long it's going to take. It could be the rest of the year, in a year, next year. I don't know when it's going to be. Um, but it's called The Great Escape. And this is traveling with the Israelites out of Egypt. Last week in our message, destruction or deliverance after, de after death's shadow had fallen upon every household in Egypt, striking the firstborn of, of both man and beast, there was a painful cry throughout all the land. This despair rested upon every single one who defied God. For you see, he provided a way of escape. There was a choice to be made. Either take God at his word and follow his instructions or stand in defiance of him and face the destruction. The Israelites chose deliverance and were literally driven out of Egypt by the fearful population that lived there. This week we will travel with God's people as he instructs them in following him as they begin their journey to the land of abundance that the Lord promised them in our message tonight, which or today, which is called The Training Begins. Now let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And Lord, thank you so much for the fact that I know that you have spoken to me. Uh, Lord, I prayed hard and have studied hard this week. And Lord, I know you've spoken specifically to me, but I would ask God that uh, I would set myself aside. And Lord, you would now speak through me. And uh, Lord, that this not be in any way about me, but it all be about you. And Lord, I pray that your truth will speak to our hearts. And Lord, give us what it is that we need, because we, for we are a needy people. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> now, as we pick up our story right here, we're going to be, remember that they are camped at Succoth. They left Egypt. They traveled a short distance, about a day's journey, and they're, par they're basically parked. They're hanging out, having a whatever, at about, a, about a, at the border of Egypt, okay? Keep in mind that they're coming out of a slavery mentality. They've been in 430 years of bondage, okay? So we're going to kind of try to imagine ourselves in the mindset that they have, okay? So when they're, they, one thing they understand is how to be obedient, but it's obedience out of fear of being beaten or controlled. So this slavery mentality is deeply instead in, is in, instilled in them. So obedience is kind of natural at this point in time. So they're going to be excited having left. They're going to be maybe scared, apprehensive, but at the same time, they're going to be full of questions. So this is the mindset of the people, over 2 million people that have gathered, as we start here in Exodus chapter 13, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Remember that all of the firstborn have just been spared. Literally, this is about two days before this. They have just been spared. And what now is happening is God is trying to teach them this idea of personal sacrifice, okay? Like I said, they've got a slave mentality. They did what they did out of obedience. They didn't do it out of love. They didn't do it out of reverence. They did it out of fear, okay? So the lesson here is he's trying to learn, trying to teach them how to put him first, okay? Now, we are understand that and it's interesting in the fact that he's asking them to give their very best, right? Because if it's your firstborn, it's the only child you've got. It's the very best that you've got. This principle of giving the very best, because what understand, God gave it to us in the first place. And if he's asking for it in return, it's not, it's not a crazy thing for us to give God our best. It's a concept of stewardship that you and I should deeply have instilled in our hearts. Guys, the, very, the, the, the car that you drive, right, the home that you have, the family that you have, the food that you eat, the life that you are allowed to live is by the provision of God, right? And it's the realization that's a reality of truth because we have this mindset that we kind of feel like we deserve things, right? 
we have a mindset of, well, of course I'm going to have this stuff. Because well, a lot of times, because we live in a country like this where there is such abundance, and things sometimes do come pretty easy. But there are people all over the world that are struggling. The very least that we can do is give back to God what he's given us. We think about things like when we talk about, like we just did the offering, tithes and offerings, right? Paying a tithe and an offering, a tithe is 10% of what, what our income is, right? And the reason why we do that is because we want to give back to God so that God can use it for his glory. And I always think about an analogy. If, let's say as an example, if there was, let's say we had absolutely nothing, we're dirt poor. And a guy comes along in his car and he's driving this really fancy car and he goes, hey, I got something I want to do. I want to give you $10,000 a month for the rest of your life. Is that okay with you? And you're like, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, think big capital yes, all caps, whatever, right? Emojis all around it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sounds pretty great. And he says, but look, I got one thing I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to give you $10,000 a month, but what I'd like for you, would you give me back $1,000 every month that I can go out and help other people? Is that a fair deal with you? You'd be like, uh, yeah, very fair. But what's amazing is because of the mindset of people, there would come a time where we would start going, you know what? Man, I could have, why do I have to have only nine? I could, have, I could get 10. Why do I have to give back to him? It's amazing. God asks, as God gives us all that we have, and he asks us for to, get, to give back to him, and some of us fight it every step of the way because we feel as if it's ours. In that scenario, if you knew that money was that man's and he was giving it to you and he said, look, I'll let you have it, but just give me back that thousand. And as long as you'll do that, I'll be faithful to continue to do so. It's a mindset of humanity, unfortunately, because we forget where we come from. Sometimes we lose sight of how blessed we are. Luke 12, 34 says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God is in reality working in the hearts of these people, these Israelites, because remember, they don't understand how to give to God. They don't understand how to serve God. They called out of misery and sorrow out to God for deliverance. And God is showing them what it means to be faithful. He's giving them instruction already saying, look, these things that you value, I want you to give them back to me. And they're going to have to fight their flesh because their flesh says, well, I don't want to do that. And now I'm not in a situation where I necessarily have to because there's not a whip over my head. Right? So this concept of giving our best, guess what? It goes back to the very beginning. Genesis 4, 4, it says, And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect upon Abel and to his offering. His offering to God, his thanks to God. The concept of giving, our first, of giving the firstborn uh, was essentially saying to them, I surrender my hopes and my dreams for my child to whatever it is that God wants for them. They are, and we are to give the very best that we have. And the idea of giving sometimes is difficult for us because we are selfish by nature. And if you don't think you are, if we took a picture of everybody in here and we're all in a big crowd, who'd be the first person you'd look for? Tell the truth. You know you'd be looking for yourself, right? You'd be like, hold on. Oh, what? man. Dude, my eyes are closed. Can we take that again, everybody? It's not so much the, the complete picture but it's the matter of we're worried about ourself, okay? In giving the, this decree, God is immediately addressing the selfish nature of humanity and establishing his expectations with the Israelites. It's with a knowledge that this entire generation will die. This is something that God knows. These Israelites that have gathered up, they're going to go into the wilderness, and there's going to be a point in time God's going to say, look, this entire generation has to die. 
in order for them to actually go into the promised land. That's something, so God's literally talking to a people he knows are not going to survive. Their selfishness and their desire for personal fulfillment will be the weakness that Satan will prey upon as they attempt to serve God. And that's a weakness that you and I struggle with. That, self, that self-fulfillment, that personal fulfillment is something we'll struggle with. Moses is trying desperately to help them focus on God and not themselves as they begin the journey. Okay? He's trying to switch their mindset. But verse number three says this, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye have come out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out. From this place there shall no leavened bread be eaten. He says, look, let's remember. This was the act of God. He worked in our lives. He brought us out. We've got to remember where we've come from and the fact that this is not a matter of what we've done. This is what he's done. He's answered our prayer. The remind, literally reminds them about that bondage. And see, the thing is, if you're a child of God, there was a time when you were in bondage, bondage to sin. We lived a life where we, bottom line, is we had fallen prey to our desires and our wants. And the thing is, we have an enemy that wants to desperately keep us away from God. We're created for a relationship with him. But because of our natural propensity to do wrong, we have a tendency to fall into these habitual things that can be really destructive to us. How many of us have ever had a destructive habit in your life? Yeah, and it can eat away at you. And the whole goal is to bring destruction. But see, God looks at us in the midst of our situation and he comes to us in love and offers us a way out, right? And what happens sometimes is our mindset, we have a tendency to forget the past and we be a little foggy with where we've come from. Especially if you've been saved for a long time, you forget who you were the day before you got saved, Amen. right? But it's really, really great to have a reminder to think back, sometimes we'll see a picture of us back in the day, right? And you see the clothes and you're like, oh, my soul. What was I thinking, man? Look at my hair, dude. Dude, I used to have, what do you call it, a mullet? I had a sweet mullet when I was back in high school. It was awesome, man. The long hair in the back, what was they called? Business in the front and party in the rear, right? I had that. That's what, that's what I had. I had a mullet. I look back and I'm like, are you kidding me? That's what I used to wear? But you know what that does is that reminds me of who I was. That reminds me of what my mindset was. It reminds me of what my desires were. It reminds me of the, the habits that I had. And it helps to remind me of how far God's brought me, right? And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to wake them up. Hey, remember who you are. Remember where you came from. Because, you know, it's imperative. If you're going to witness or, or we're going to be able to minister to this world, unless you remember where you've come from, you will become a judge. And when you become a judge, you are no longer be able to. God can't use you anymore. You're actually now a detriment to the work of God when you start judging others. He he wardens us again and again. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. That's my job. Your job is to reach out in love and show them the love of Christ. Right? And so what happens when we forget where we came from, we can easily put ourselves on a pedestal, and now we start looking down upon the world going, hmm, look at what they're doing. Mm -mm -mm." That's a dangerous place to be. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches. That's exactly what they do on a regular basis. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, For as there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We are all just sinners saved by grace. If you are a child of God, it is only by the grace of God, not because you're anything special or because you're anything any better than anybody else. Right? We keep that mindset. That mindset helps us to not let our pride rise up. It's when we lose sight of that and that compassion. Right? The compassion is what we must have towards the lost world. When you start judging, you lose sight of compassion, no longer care, and then what happens, you can sort of live in your ivory tower and not be worried about other people. If you're not burdened for the world around you, you need to check your heart. 
If you see people that are suffering and it doesn't affect you, check your heart. Because I'm telling you, Matthew 9, 36 and 38, and it says, but when he saw, this is Jesus, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He saw people that were aimless in life looking for God. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So those guys prayed back then. And guess what you and I are? We are an answer to their prayer. Because they were given a job, which was to reach the world. And if you're a child of God today, guess what? You were reached. So you are a laborer. But we might be the laborer that sits on the sidelines and goes, you know what? I don't want to get my hands dirty. The garden looks kind of, ooh, I don't like mud. Worms, no thanks, ooh. And we sit back and we make excuses. You know what I am? I'm a prayer warrior. That's me. I'm a prayer warrior because I can stay in my house, keep my hands clean. Pray for God. Oh, God's going to use somebody. Pray for him, right? God wants to use us, and we are to be the laborers in this place, and you've got to have compassion upon the hearts, on the lives of people around you. Otherwise, you're an inefficient laborer. If we're, not, uh, if, we're not, if we're not for the compassion of God, and many times a human vessel, then you and I would not be here today. The reason why my wife and I got saved August, 30, August, uh, August 3rd, 2001, was because, or August 11, 2001, is because... My sister and brother-in-law had compassion upon us. And when she asked for them to do a Bible study, and I knew nothing about nothing, and I'm sitting downstairs working, and they show up and knock at the door, and it's late, and I'm like, who's here? And I'm up frustrated, and I'm wearing a wife beater t-shirt and a pair of dirty shorts, and I come upstairs, and they go, hey, we're going to do a Bible study. And I'm like, what? I was like, we don't have a Bible. I didn't do well in school. Bible study sounds horrible. I'll be in the basement, <laughs> you know? And she's like, I want you to sit and listen, please. And I'm like, come on, right? So I didn't sit on the couch going, man, teach me about God. I can't wait to hear how wonderful he is. I sat on the couch and was like, Bible guy, hurry up, because I got things to do. And I went from sitting back and being kind of like this to as he started speaking about who God really was, not who I thought he was because of the stories I'd seen, about the stuff I'd heard on TV or whatever else and the preconceived notions I had what I knew of religion, but it was who he really was. And let me introduce you to him. And I started to see Jesus face to face, and it changed my heart. And I went from sitting like this to sitting like this. And as he spoke, man, God just grips my heart, and the truth of the word, man, grabbed me. And before we knew it, we were on our knees, calling out to God. And you know what? He came where we were in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our lost condition, and he drew us into a relationship with him. It's because of his love, man. And then we immediately, when we got up from, I mean, literally, we got up, we were like, what about other people? Because you know what we knew? We were, right away, we were to be laborers. And you and I are supposed to be laborers. That wasn't in the message, but God just added that in. I have nine pages, so I'm sorry. If we're a little late today, I apologize. I'm going to do my best. Listen quick. I'm going to go fast, I promise. But bottom line is it's that the key is compassion, okay? Let's never forget where we've come from. Verse number four says this, this day, this day came ye out of the month Abib. Abib is also listed, as I've told you before, it's Nisan, which is the Greek term for it. Verse five, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers, look at this word, to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey that thou shalt keep this service in this month. He says, remember, 
Remember, remember, keep the Passover. Remember what's happened. Remember the leavened bread. Remember these, do these things. Side note, pay attention to the fact that in this verse, he tells them all of these different people that already inhabit the land, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. So he warns them up front and says, look, by the way, the place that God is going to give you, he says he's going to give it to you, he's making a promise, there's already a great population there. And we're going to find not too far down the road when they get to the border, they're going to be like, what? It's full of people? Well, we can't fight. Well, we should go back to Egypt. Way back here, it just shows you how clueless they can be. And sometimes we may know a fact and God told, tells us up front, and when we get in the situation, we allow our fear to take over, and our fear changes our mindset, and we react to our emotions, not our faith. Since God understands the frailty of humanity and what's going to come, what's ahead for them, he's simply trying to focus them on their relationship and the understanding of what it means to worship. God reiterates his promise of giving the promised land to them. He's showing them and establishing them his expectations of obedience. They're a newly freed people. They have not experienced freedom. They are generations in having no freedom. So if you know people who lived in a very, you know anybody who was raised in a really strict environment growing up? Right? But then when they get out of that environment, do they go, man, I'm going to just toe the line and just keep on following the rules? Most of them go, man, I'm going to experience life as much as I can. They go crazy, right? That was kind of like me in high school, man. We lived on a farm. My, our neighbor, my best friend, guess how old he was? 81 years old. <laughs> 81 years old. <laughs> I was 15, and that was my best friend. That and our dog, right, and all the chickens and stuff like that, because I lived on a farm. So when we moved, and my parents were, had problems for years and years and years and years, and we went, my, my brother and my dad went on a hunting trip, and we got back, and my mom was like, we've moved. And I'm like, uh, okay. So the house was empty. We'd moved to an apartment. My mom was in school, and I had nobody watching me. And guess what I went? Crazy. Experience the world in every way you possibly can. Every sinful thing you can jam into your body, man. I'm going to experience everything, right? And you know what it left me? Empty and broken and full of regret. It's unfortunate that many of us take this path. So what we have here is a newly freed people, and he's trying to go, hey, 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 I'm trying to give you some boundaries, because without boundaries, you're going to destroy yourself because you are going to be self-destructive, which is what we are. Knowing what human nature was, God's trying to use Moses to wake them up. He's telling them, Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's talking about the leavened bread, which is all about pointing, taking away, having no sin. He's saying, look, righteousness is the key because all, and he says, and all these things shall be added unto you. You want an abundant life? I want to give you that abundant life, but I need you to, to swear off this sin and this live holy instead of living for, for your flesh. You know, if we'll focus on our holiness and honor God, what's really amazing is God will allow us to, to live a life that is so far beyond the expectations or even what people can even dream life can be. Because I'm telling you, if you know somebody who's sold out to God, who loves him with all their life, all their heart, no matter what they face in life, people see them and they go, how in the world? How do you, you're just so positive and so, 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 so faithful and so kind and so loving. How can you be that way? Aren't you bitter towards the world? Aren't you bitter towards these people? Because they have their heart focused upon something else. They're living not for themselves. They're not living for their circumstance. They're living for God. And when you do that, God fills you, man. He fills you. He fills you in a way you can't even imagine. It's these very disciplines that can protect them from falling into sin if they'll just listen. He says in verse number seven, 
Unleavened bread shall ye eat seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. He said, look, not only are you not going to be partaking in leavened bread uh, and things that are leavened, you're not going to be around leaven, you're going to completely remove it from your environment. This is a principle that's very simple and something that we need to do. Guess what? If you have a problem with a sin, don't spend time around it. He says, look, it's a lot easier to stay away from the temptation of it if, you're not, if it's not in your face. How many of us have ever been on a diet before? Yeah. Man, you're trying to swear off sweets, right? And then somebody comes in and just takes the, your favorite thing. Mine's egg custard, man. I love egg custard. I, I'm not, my wife knows. I could eat. My, wife, my mom will make it. I can sit down and eat the entire container. By myself, no problem. I can probably do them. I, mean, I love it, right? So when you're on a diet and you're like, man, I'm cutting calories, I'm cutting out sugar, and somebody goes, <sighs> slides an egg custard in front of you or whatever your thing is, you know? I'm a lot more apt to just reach in that bad boy and take a big old handful, right? <laughs> than if it's not there. It's a simple concept, but God's saying, look, you know what? Remove sin from your life. Clean it away and live a life that doesn't fill with temptation, because what happens is many times, and there's prideful people that go out and they go, you know what, I can handle it. Dude, I can handle it. You don't understand. Dude, I've been clean for 10 years. It ain't a big deal no more. There was a guy, when my son, my son struggled with drugs and almost destroyed his life, but it was a place called RU that he went to, and that's where God saved him, and that's where God changed his life. But the Reformers Unanimous, which is what that place is called, there was one of the counselors, the guy that I talked to on the phone, that convinced me to send my son there, who was the advocate for my son the entire time. Within a year's time of me having that conversation with my phone, was a crack addict again. He'd been saved 10 years before that, had sold out to God, but what happened was he became overconfident, and before he knew it, the very same sin was destroying him again. We have got to be careful. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. You and I are being hunted, whether you realize it or not. Everywhere you go, they're looking for a way. Because remember, Satan doesn't know everything. But he takes, rec takes notes, and he keeps records, and he knows what your weakness is. And if you have a, prop a prop propensity for a specific sin, it will not be coincidental that that sin hits you again and again and again. But the good news as Christians is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God tells he says, he says, I am made strong in your weakness. So if we'll give ourselves to God, God will fight for us on our behalf. Verse 8, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Okay? So as the Israelites keep the commandments of God and remember these things, he's going to give, he's going to give them opportunities to share with them to their children what God has done. They'll get to share it in word and in deed. Now, while at the same time we see what he's saying to them, to you and I, if you've been in Word Strong, we know there's a, there's a little something in here. You see this right here? In that day? That's in that verse. When you see the phrase, in that day, that is a moniker, that is a marker in the Scriptures pointing you to the second coming of Christ. There's another message inside of this message pointing us that as we learn how the Israelites honor God through the feast on the seventh day, we celebrate it. We see a celebration on a much larger scale where in that day, that celebration day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God, pointing us to what God is really long term. Everything about the Bible, the Bible is pointing all the way through to the second coming of Christ. Every book, of, every book of the Old Testament is pointing to that one thing. It's amazing. 
Absolutely amazing. Verse number nine. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and in the memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth for with a strong hand and the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. The Jews were to memorialize an, an incre this incredible deliverance by God's hand. The scripture was taken so literally that literally, this, check this out. They actually created these things. Now, if you'll see, it's called a, a filigree, a phylactery, okay? Now, in the Jewish culture, back then, years after this, this time, they actually created these things. I'm going to show you. i got a couple pictures. These are phylacteries. This is a little box, and what they, they have four prayers that are specifically written out very meticulously, and they're rolled up into a tight little scroll, and they're packed inside of this little box. They have one that goes on their forehead. And it goes, it's got to go above the forehead, right here, the crest of the head. It's very specific of what has to happen. And then it's wrapped up on the arm on the left side so that it goes up underneath the heart. They took it so literally because he says here, you're supposed to have it on your forehead, on your arm. And he says, you know what? And he says, and the, the, the word of God in your mouth. And so what happens for you and I, it's they're simply saying, you know what? Remember who God is. Remember and memorialize him. Look at what Jesus said about these practices. Because understand, they became so wrapped up in the practice that it wasn't about what God was asking them to do. It was about the, 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 the ceremony, okay? Matthew 23, verses 5 and first five first. He says, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. They make these big boxes and enlarge the borders of their garments. They go, look, we want to be seen. When we walk through the crowds, I want everybody to see the tassels. I want everybody to see the box. I want everybody to see who I am. It says that they pray in the, on the corners and they speak in a loud voice that everyone hears them. They don't pray for the sake of God in a quiet place. They pray for the sake of man. Then verse 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. A sepulcher is where you put a dead body. And he says, and Indeed, appear beautiful outwardly, but are, with, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Verse 28, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You are overflowing with religion, but not a relationship with me. Our world is jammed full of religion, rules of men and people that are all into ceremony, but that's not what God's concerned with. Jesus is rebuking these men saying, look, I want your heart, not your actions. I want to see what's going inside of you. Verse 10, thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. God's concerned about the heart, not the ceremony. Again and again, God tells them not to, for, to never forget what he did for them. Now, why do you think this is the case? Because of the short memory. He's reminding them because it's not going to be long because they're going to forget where they just come from. They're going to start complaining. Instead of being thankful, they will complain. You and I have a really, really, really hard time remembering our blessings many times. God answers prayer and sometimes we don't even thank him. We sometimes, God, we'll pray for something for a year, and then he, he delivers it, and we're like, man, great. Let me roll on to my next need. And we don't forget our needs and our wants. Boy, they're easy to keep track of. But it's the blessings that sometimes we lose sight of. God knows this of them, and guess what? He knows it of us as well. Verse number 11. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites as he swear, look at that, as he swear unto thee and to thy fathers and shall give it thee. He tells them again, the Lord is literally telling them that the possession of the land is a done deal, man. He's saying, look, this is a done deal. He's certainly proven that he's capable. The trick is now simply remembering when times get tough that that's the case. Verse 12, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and every firstling that cometh of a feast of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. When you see the matrix, it's talking about the womb. Okay, So saying that they're going to the same thing, saying he's reiterating that same point. 
We've been watching God make provisions, provision after provision in order to aid the Israelites in serving him, okay? We saw that he gave them all of the gold that they needed when they left. They didn't know why they were receiving the gold, but God promised them they were going to get it. And we know later on that they're going to build a tabernacle in the wilderness. And guess what they're going to need? Raw materials to make those things. And God's provided the gold already. They don't even know they have the need yet. God's provided them the unleavened bread. He said that it says that they were pushed out of the country so quickly that they didn't have time to put the leaven in the bread. So instead of them choosing to do right and to make unleavened bread, which was that they liked leavened bread, they baked leavened bread, God made it so that they couldn't even have the leaven. So that it forced them to have a, make a provision. Now God's saying, look, I want servants made that are given unto me, and I also want sacrifices given unto me. And I'm going to tell you up front, this is what I'm going to require. Again and again, God's trying to help them to serve him instead of themselves, which is the natural. This is the struggle for all of humanity, will we serve God or we serve ourselves? Verse 13, and every first thing of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou, and thou wilt not redeem it. Okay, so when it says here, it says redeem with a lamb. He's saying, look, if you have an ass, which is an unclean beast, if you're going to redeem that animal, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to actually kill a lamb in its place. But if you're not going to kill a lamb in its place, and it says, and thou shalt break, uh, where am I at? It says, um, then thou shalt break its neck. So it's also supposed to be given. It won't be given as a sacrifice, but its life has to be taken. And all the firstborn of man among the children shall you redeem. So he says, I'm not going to, obviously there's no human sacrifice. God's simply saying, you're going to give their life to me and the fact that you're going to redeem them unto me for my service. So animals clean and unclean would have been given firstborn to be dedicated to the Lord. This is asking a lot, but guess what? This is a test. This is their first opportunity. They have an opportunity here. Will they serve him or will they serve themselves? Verse 14. And it shall be when thy sons asketh thee in, in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. So he says, when we're going and we're killing these animals and all these things are going on, and the kids ask us why we're doing this and why we're faithfully following, you know, what you're given, you're given an opportunity here to tell them of the goodness of God. But guess what? It can only happen if you are faithfully doing this. Because they, they see, the caveat with faithfulness and our kids asking us about faithfulness is we have to be faithful, right? If your kids go, you know, why do we always go to church? Well, then it's probably because you always go to church. But see, we want to we want to instruct our kids on how they should live their lives and what we should have expectations for them. But then if we don't live them and we just tell them, guess what we do? We have those kids that go buck wild because you know what? It wasn't really real. The reason why my mom, who was raised in a Christian home, when we got out, when she got out, she's like, you know what? I realized at an early age that it was all just a lie. Because they said one thing on Sunday, and they lived another throughout the week. And that's why whenever I, got, whenever I was a kid, my mom made a point of us not being in church. Because she didn't want to introduce us to the hypocrisy of it. Praise God that the Lord reached us even in the midst of that. And then through that, my mom has gotten saved and is serving in church today. Praise God. But... Proverbs 22, 6 says, Praying up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Verse 15, And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord. See, he says this. He says, Because God did what he did, then Moses says this, Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that opened the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my child, children I redeem. He says, Look, I do it because... This is the very least that I can do. Man, God did what he did. He brought us out. The least I can do is follow what he simply do, what he's asking me to do. And we think about Paul in the book of Romans 12, 1. It says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Beseech is like saying, I'm begging you, man. He's like, I'm begging you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service. He's look, it's the least we can do is give back to God. Look at how much he's blessed us. Well, look at what we received. How can we not do this for him? Verse 16. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. Four times in this scripture, we've seen either strong hand or strength of hand. God has reiterated four different times that this whole thing took place because of his strength, not the strength of a man. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the people. It was the hand of God. That hand is talking about and that strength is discussing or pointing to the authority of God. We are saved out of our situation by the authority of God. Every part of their miraculous deliverance was attributed to God and God alone. Verse 17, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God let them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. He led them not through the Philistines, although that was near, this was an easier route to take. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war. So they not get scared if they see war and they see the Philistine armies and they want to return to Egypt. So he's literally, again, protecting them from themselves, understanding the weakness of humanity, understanding the frailty of humanity. He doesn't give them a reason to turn back. This shows the patience of God, man. He's patient with them. He's patient with us. Verse 18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed. Harnessed means that they traveled in ranks like a military out of the land of Egypt. In verse 19, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. This is 440 years before they actually go into captivity. When Joseph is still alive, he's got that amazing relationship with the, with the Pharaoh. But once he dies 10 years later, they fall into the captivity. And Joseph said back then in Genesis 2025, 20, he says this, and Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from hence. He's literally predicting the enslavement and also God's deliverance 440 years before it happens. Verse 20, and they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Itham in the edge of the wilderness. Okay? What this chapter is showing us again and again is the final preparations as they're getting ready to enter the wilderness. This is all getting things ready. He's gotten them prepared physically to move forward. We know there's no feeble in the bunch. There's no feeble in the bunch. And now he's trying to get their hearts properly, mind, their proper mindset to go forward. So he's not telling them about the hardships because he says, look, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to take care of this. I've got this. Just simply trust me. The lesson to the adults, which is also to the children. And it's also to us. He's, remember, he keeps pointing to that next generation. As we will see through, this, through his faithfulness in the form of a pillar of cloud of fire, or pillar of cloud or fire, God is sending a simple message, which is, where I lead, you follow. Where I lead, you follow. If we ask ourselves that question today, as God leads us, are we following? Are we truly following? Verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud of, of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night but from before the people. The Lord is trying to establish their dependence upon him through word, through Moses, but also through deed. They can see it and they can hear it. He's showing them an example. What he's asking of them to do with their kids, he's doing with them right now. He's giving them an example and he's showing them in word and deed. Will they trust him and follow his lead? Or will they go their own way, right? This will be their struggle throughout their entire journey to the promised land. Will they follow the lead of God? What is he showing them in that pillar? He's showing them his faithfulness. He's saying that, look, whether it be day or whether it be night, because their faith is so weak at this time and they're so scared and they're so, so rattled that he's going, look, I'm here. 
Just keep your eyes forward. You see that pillar of smoke or the pillar of cloud? Just keep your eyes on that and follow it. And when the night comes and you can no longer see the cloud, guess what I'll do? I'll convert it into fire so that it'll become a light to you and a guide to you. Just follow. Just follow. I will be there no matter where you go. And see, you and I, we don't have a pillar of smoke or a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, but we have the Word of God that never changes, that has been saved and preserved for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's still today. We have the Word of God in our hands. What God wants us to know, He's given it to us. And He says, look, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Like that pillar that's there and you can trust and follow, I'm going to give you direction. Just follow. Just follow. The struggle we have is not having the information, not having the indicator of God. It's a matter of us having the willingness to trust and follow Him. That's why this world struggles with faith. That's why this world struggles with religion because Satan has figured out a way to twist the view of what we see and make us tr not trust what it is. God is trustworthy. He has always been trustworthy and he always be trustworthy. Satan is a liar, man. He's a liar, a liar, a liar. But we have, he's so good at knowing who we are and what our weaknesses are that he tells us what we want to hear. He tells us what fits the narrative of our life and our circumstances and we believe that garbage. And the next thing you know, we doubt God. Yet God's given us no reason to doubt. He's been faithful throughout. It's their emotions, their desires, and their lusts that will undermine them the entire time. And guess what? Every day, that's what undermines us. Our emotions, our desires, and our lusts. God is just as worthy to be trusted when times are good as when times are bad. He's trying to teach us how to reverence and depend upon him. That's what he's telling them. Learn to trust me. I am faithful. I brought you out with my strong hand. This was not the work of man. This was the work of God and God alone. You'd still be there if it were not for me, but because I care, I came where you were in the midst of your bondage and offered deliverance because I love you and because I know your sorrows and I hear your cry. And when we're broken and we're down on our knees and we're broken person and we live in our bondage and we cry out, God says, I'm here. And I'm going to make a way of deliverance. And you know what? I'll even take you to the promised land. I'll give you directions. And you know what? I'll even lead you. I'll give you all the instructions of what you need. And all I'm asking of you, just follow. Just follow. That's all you need. Have faith and follow. See, the whole point is, he's trying to teach us how to reverence and depend upon him. Have we been listening? And have we been learning? Or is it time for the training to begin? Where do we stand? Are we at the border of your wilderness? Are you in the midst of the wilderness? Wherever you are, the wilderness is going to be full of all kinds of challenges. All kinds of challenges. They'll have opportunities to fail, and they will. Manifold, man, they're going to fail plenty. But guess what? Those Israelites are a picture of an individual believer. It's us. The wilderness is not there to get them out of Egypt. It's to get the Egypt out of them. We're full of Egypt, man. We're full of sin. And God uses life to knock it out of us. And he says, in all of that, just follow me. Let's pray. Whew. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your power, your strength, your love, your consistency, for what you are in our lives. And God, the fact that you are trustworthy and you're faithful. Thank you, God, that in the midst of a situation that can be scary and, and uh, we can be filled with our emotions and our circumstances can be overwhelming, we can simply look to you and know that, God, you will lead us in the right direction. You have a purpose for our lives. And, Lord, it's not about us. It's about you. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that, God, we get to look into the past. The picture book of the New Testament is the Old Testament. And we look in the picture of this adventure through Exodus, and we can see absolutely historically what was taking place. We can see devotionally what's taking place. And we can also see, Lord, prophetically and doctrinally what's taking place. There's three messages going on in one, and God, everything is pointing to you. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you have not given up on humanity. And the Lord, even today, you call us to be laborers for your service. Help us, God, to point people to the cross. Help us to point people to your beautiful, loving son. And Lord, help them to realize that there is a love that is simply waiting on them. If they can get out of their circumstance, get out of their situation, take their eyes away from the lies of this world, and realize that look into the eyes of a loving Savior, who even from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, he loves us. And Lord, you have sent him to pay the price for our sins. And there are people sitting here today and they have received that gift. I praise God. They received it just like I did in August 11th, 2001. And God, they are your children. And there may be others here today. And Lord, you know what? They're not. They're not your child. They maybe know who God is, like I was. They knew about God. They maybe believed God existed. But they have no relationship with you. And God, you're here to reach into them, to share with them who you are. God, I pray through the message you revealed yourself to their hearts, with their heads, with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you're here today, you say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe I don't even necessarily believe in God. I don't know where I am. But you know what? Today, God spoke to me. God spoke to me and he let me know that he loves me even where I'm at. And in the midst of my sadness, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my sin and the bondage that I'm in, you love me. And he's coming to you right now with loving arms saying, you know what? I want a relationship with you and I want to lift you out of that mess. And I want to replace the pain and the guilt that you feel with a love in your heart that will fill you like you've never experienced in your life. That's what happened to me. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to receive that gift. You have that opportunity today. It's nothing special. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing more than your heart. That's what God's after. And if you want to receive that gift today, you have that opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And it's not the words of a prayer. There is no magic to the words. God doesn't care about the words. It's the heart of the person that's praying. And if your heart is broken and you want to receive that gift, no matter if you're on the Internet, I don't care where you are. It does not take a preacher. It does not take the church. It only requires a human heart and a loving God. And he loves you right where you are. No matter where you are on this planet, he is there with you and he loves you and he wants to take you into his loving arms. And in prayer, by prayer, with a broken heart, you can call out to him and you can receive that gift of God, which is an eternal relationship that can never be broken. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, understanding the fact that, you know what? Without God, we are lost and undone. He is the answer to our problems. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior with a a, a sincere heart, if you'll pray and ask Him to save you, guess what He will do? He will save you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. This is something you can say in your head and your heart. And as you pray, you're not talking to anyone but to Him. He's with us even now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong, for the people I've hurt, for the times I've hurt myself and all the times I've hurt you. I'm sorry. I'm asking you to forgive me 
I'm asking you to come into my heart by faith. You died on the cross for my sins. You were buried in a borrowed tomb. And you rose on the third day, proving you were God. Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life and save my soul. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.